0: part one chapter six of war and peace by leo tolstoy translated by nathan haskell doyle this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by marianne chapter six pierre had rarely of late seen his wife alone by themselves both in petersburg and moscow their house was constantly full of company on the night that followed the duel he did not go to his sleeping room but as was often the case stayed in the vast cabinet where his father the count buzakoy had died he stretched himself out on the sofa with the idea of forgetting all that had taken place but this he couldn't do such a tornado of thoughts feelings recollections suddenly arose in his mind that not only could he not sleep but he could not keep still and he was compelled to spring up from the sofa and walk the room with rapid strides now she seemed to come up before him as she was during the first weeks after their marriage with her bare shoulders and her languid passionate eyes and then immediately he would see Dolokhov by her side. Dolokhov, with his handsome, impudent, mocking face, as he had seen it at the banquet, and then the same face, pale, convulsed, and agonized, as it had been when he reeled and fell on the snow. "'What was it?' he asked himself. "'I have killed her paramour.' "'Yes, I have killed my wife's paramour. Yes, that was it. Why? How did it come to this?' because you married her replied an inward voice but wherein was i to blame he asked again because you married her without loving her because you deceived yourself and her and then he vividly recalled the moment after the dinner at prince vasili's when he had murmured those words je vous amie i love you that had come with so much difficulty it was all from that even then i felt he said to himself even then i felt that this was wrong that i had no right to do it and so it has proved he recalled their honeymoon and reddened at the recollection extraordinary vivid humiliated and shameful was the recollection of how one time shortly after their marriage he had gone in his silk dressing-gown at twelve o'clock in the daytime from his sleeping-room to his library and found there his head overseer who with an obsequious bow glanced at pierre's face and at his dressing-gown while a shadow of a smile passed over his face, as though he thereby expressed his humble sympathy in the happiness of his master. And yet how many times have I been proud of her, proud of her majestic beauty, of her social tact, he went on thinking, proud of my house, where she received all Petersburg, proud of her inaccessibility and radiance. Yes, how proud I was of it all. Then I thought that I did not understand her. How often When pondering over her character, I said to myself that I was to blame, that I did not understand her, did not understand her habitual repose, self-satisfaction, and lack of all interests and ambition, and now I have found the answer in that terrible expression. She is a lewd woman. Now I have said to myself that terrible word, all has become clear. Anatole came to her to borrow some money, and kissed her on her naked shoulder, She did not let him have the money, but she was willing for him to kiss her. Her father, in joke, tried to make her jealous, and she, with her calm smile, replied that she was not so stupid as to be jealous. Let him do as he pleases, said she about me. I asked her once if she saw no signs of approaching maternity. She laughed scornfully, and replied that she was not such a fool as to wish to have any children, and that I should never get any children by her then he recalled the coarseness and frankness of her speech the vulgarity of the expressions that came natural out in spite of her education in the highest aristocratic schools i am no such fool go and try it on yourself and such like slang she was fond of pierre witnessing her success in the eyes of old and young men and women had often found it hard to understand why he did not love her yes and i have never really loved her said pierre to himself I knew that she was a lewd woman, he kept repeating to himself, but I did not dare to acknowledge it to myself. And now there is Dolokhov sitting on the snow and trying to smile, and dying maybe, and answering my repentance with pretended bravado. Pierre was one of those men who, notwithstanding his affectionate nature, which some would call weakness of character, would never seek a confidant for his troubles. He worked out his sufferings alone by himself. She is to blame, the only one to blame for all, he said to himself. But what was back of that? That I married her, that I said to her je vous amie, which was a lie, and even worse than a lie, he said to himself. I am to blame and must suffer. What? The besmirching of my name? The unhappiness of my life? Eh, that's all nonsense, he continued. The disgrace to my name and honor, all that is conditional absolutely independent of me louis the sixteenth was executed because they said that he was a guilty offender thus pierre reasoned and they were right from their point of view just as they also were right from theirs who died a violent death after him and who reckoned him among the saints then robespierre was beheaded because he was a tyrant who was right who was to blame no one but live while we live Tomorrow we die just as I might have easily done an hour ago, and is it worth tormenting one's self about, when life counts only as a moment in comparison with eternity? But even while he was trying to reason himself into calmness by such a train of thought, suddenly she again rose before his imagination, and at one of those moments when he had expressed to her more violently than ever his insincere love, and he felt how the blood poured back to his heart, and he was obliged again to get up move about and break and smash whatever things came within reach of his hands why did i tell her that i loved her why did i say je vous aime? he kept asking himself and after he had asked himself this question a dozen times the phrase of moliere came to his head mais que diable allez il fait dans cette galère and he had to laugh at himself it was night, but he summoned his valet and ordered him to pack up in readiness to go to Petersburg. He could not imagine himself having anything more to say to her. He had decided to take an early departure the next day, leaving her a letter in which he should explain his intention of living apart from her for evermore. The next morning, when the valet, bringing him his coffee, came into the cabinet, Pierre was lying on an ottoman asleep, with an open book in his hand he roused himself and looked around for some time with a startled expression wholly unable to understand where he was the countess commanded to ask if your illustriousness were at home asked the valet but before pierre had time to decide what answer to give the countess herself in a morning gown of white satin embroidered in silver and with her hair dressed in the simplest style two enormously long braids wound twice and diadem around her graceful head came into the room, calmly and majestically. Only on her marble forehead, which was a little too prominent, was there a deep frown of fury. With thoroughly masterful self-restraint she did not say a word in the valet's presence. She had heard of the duel, and had come to speak about it. She waited until the valet had set down the coffee and left the room. Pierre looked at her timidly over his spectacles, and like a hare surrounded by dogs, which lays back its ears and crouches motionless before its enemies, so he also pretended to take up his reading again. But he was conscious that this was a senseless and impossible thing to do, and again he looked at her. She did not sit down, but with a scornful smile stared at him, waiting until the valet should be out of the room. "'Well, now what's this latest? What have you been doing?' "'I demand an answer,' said she, sternly. "'I—what have I—' stammered Pierre. "'Playing the bravado, eh? "'Come now, answer me. "'What about this duel? "'What did you mean to imply by it? "'What? "'I demand an answer.' "'Pierre turned heavily on the sofa, "'opened his mouth, but could not make a sound. "'If you won't answer—' then I will tell you, continued Ellen. You believe everything that is told you. You were told, Ellen laughed, that Dolokhov was my paramour, said she in French, with her uncompromising explicit manner of speech, pronouncing the word amant like any other word. And you believed it. And what have you proved by it? What have you proved by this duel? That you are a fool, a duroc, that you are unsought, "'and that's what everyone calls you. "'What will be the result of it? "'This, that you have made me "'the laughing-stock of all Moscow. "'This, that everyone will say that you, "'while in a drunken fit "'and not knowing what you were about, "'challenged a man of whom you were jealous "'without any reason.' "'Ellen kept raising her voice "'and growing more and more excited. "'A man superior to you "'in every sense of the word.' "'Hum, hum!' bellowed pierre scowling but not looking at her or stirring and why did you believe that he was my paramour why was it because i liked his society if you had been brighter and more agreeable i should have preferred yours do not speak to me i beg of you whispered pierre hoarsely why shouldn't i speak to you i have a right to speak and i tell you up and down That it's rare to find a woman with a husband like you who doesn't console herself with lovers, and that is a thing which I haven't done, said she. Pierre started to say something, looked at her with strange eyes, the expression of which she could not understand, and again threw himself back. At that moment he was suffering physical pain, his chest was oppressed, and he could not breathe. He knew that it behooved him to do something to put an end to his torment but what he wanted to do was too horrible. "'We had better part,' he exclaimed in a broken voice. "'By all means part, provided only you give me enough,' said Ellen. "'Part. That's nothing to scare one.' Pierre sprang from the sofa and staggered toward her. "'I will kill you!' he cried, and seizing from the table a marble slab with a force such as he had never before possessed, rushed toward her, brandishing it in the air. Ellen's face was filled with horror. She screamed and sprang away from him. His father's nature suddenly became manifest in him. Pierre experienced the rapture and fascination of frenzy. He flung down the marble, breaking it in fragments, and with raised arms flew at her, crying, Away! with such a terrible voice that it rang through the whole house and filled everyone with horror. God knows what Pierre would have done at that moment if Ellen had not escaped from the room. At the end of the week, Pierre had given to his wife a power of attorney for the control of all his great Russian possessions, which amounted to the larger half of his property, and returned alone to Petersburg. End of chapter 6